find Genesis 3, friends. Find Genesis 3. We have some Genesis study notebooks with the passage of Scripture on one side and the note page on the other side if you'd like to follow along in our study. They're there for you. Thank you, Pastor Seth, for praying for us. And let me uh, encourage all of you to make sure today you go to our website and find our next weekend workshops just two weeks away. Our emphasis on this workshop will be on prayer. We're going to be thinking about prayer, learning how to pray in a more effective, in a deeper way, uh, studying prayer from the scriptures, from some influential church leaders. Really important weekend. Friday night, we'll start in the evening. Come back Saturday, we're done by noon. So it's not long, but really important time. I hope that you will come and join us. <clears throat> we, we all have this sense of danger. We teach our children to avoid dangerous things. We, we know not to stick our fingers in sockets. We, we know to look both ways before we cross the street. We know not to drink poison. We know not to play with vicious animals. We have this sense of danger. We, we, we can grasp the reality of, of death. And yet, when it comes to the most dangerous and deadly of things, rather than having a sense of alarm, we tend to fool around with it and make it palatable, even desirable. And, and I'm, I'm talking about sin. Sin is the most dangerous of all things. And yet what we, what we tend to do is we tend to downplay it. We, we, we even uh, describe it in ways that, that make us want to, to taste it or we're tempted by it. We, we call foods sin. We use phrases like it being sinfully delicious or sinfully sweet. We, we name cities after sin in order to attract people to go and visit them. We, we have this palate for the one thing that can separate us from a holy God. And yet rather than sensing its danger, we are somehow attracted to it. And the question is why? Why is it that you tend to downplay sin? And why is it that you often desire sin? Why would you desire the very thing that you know will result in shame and guilt and separation from a God who loves you? Well, friends, the answer is you're born with that desire. And I want to show you why that is today from the book of Genesis chapter three. What I want you to know is that we all inherit sin and death from Adam, but we can receive grace and inherit eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. In our study in Genesis now, we're gonna move from the purity of paradise to the corruption and death by way of the fall of humanity. Genesis 3 and 1. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates this good and glorious creation. Six days, he, he's making and creating and ordering, and it's all good. And at the end of the six days, on the seventh day, God looks over all that he made and he declares, declares it to be very good. And he pauses to rest in the beauty and the glory of all that he had made. He experiences what the Bible calls shalom, a sense of peace that just overwhelmed our great God. And, and in that peace, he rested. In that moment, everything was the way that it was supposed to be. 
And in the grand scheme of the Bible, in this grand narrative that we call the scriptures, there are basically four chapters to this story. There is creation, and there is fall, and then there is redemption, and then there is renewal. And we only get to enjoy creation just two chapters. Because in Genesis chapter 3, all things fall apart. Somewhere you see between God creating all things good and glorious and, and the serpent tempting Eve, something happened in the highest of heavens. Lucifer, the most glorious of all of God's created angels, this holy cherub, this mighty being with authority and majesty and power, he willed to sin. It's a mystery. But in, in, at some moment in time, Lucifer, rather than being declared the most holy cherub, this glorious angelic being, something happened in Lucifer's heart where he wanted to be more. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped. And in that moment, he willed to sin. He gathered along with him one-third of all of the glorious heavenly angelic beings, and they decided to follow him. And in that moment, heaven had a, a rebellion. And the scriptures don't talk much about it, but they just simply describes that God cast down Satan and these fallen angels who immediately became Satan's horde of demons. And very soon, Satan would become the prince over the earth. What happened? Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28 give us just a glimpse of, of something that happened in Satan's heart in that moment where it says that this, this glorious angel wanted to be more than an angel. This glorious angel made the statement, I will make myself like the most high. I want to be God. I just don't want to have a God that I worship or obey. I want to be God. This is the most unfortunate theme that will now span the entirety of the Bible until its very end. This is the essence of sin. When you don't want to have a God or obey a God, rather, you want to be your own. You want to be your own authority. You make your own choices. You want to be like the Most High. Well, what we know is that God immediately sealed all of the angelic beings. They are not humans. They don't have the ability to repent and seek forgiveness. No, God sealed them all. All of the elect angels remain righteous and are righteous forever. Satan and his horde of demons immediately sealed in their wickedness and immediately they became as bad as you possibly can be. With Satan as their leader, now Satan became hell-bent to destroy God's creation. And especially and specifically, he wanted to destroy those creatures that brought God the most glory. That would be human beings, people. And from that moment on, Satan had one great desire to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so immediately he went after Eve and Adam. You see, Satan hates humanity. And our sordid history is the result of his hatred of people. God loves humanity. God loves the world so much that he sent his own son to redeem it. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And at some moment, Satan indwelled or influenced this creature that 
we basically consider to be a snake. I think we have some biblical leverage to hate snakes. Amen? Amen. And this, this, this serpent indwelt by Satan, now this is basically Satan speaking, and, and he confronts Eve in the purity and in the innocence of Eden and its garden. And he says to Eve, he simply asks a simple question. And the question is, hey, Eve, did God give you a command? Did God command you to do something or not to do something? It's a simple question. Of course, the answer is yes, God. God gave Eve a command, right? Now, can I be honest? This is how sinful you are. And this is how sinful I am. You want to know what the command was, don't you? And you want to find out, was there any technicalities there about the command? I mean, what's the deal, God? Why would you... Did you set Adam and Eve up to fail? I mean, what's the story about this particular tree? You see, what we tend to do is we want to know the details to determine, you know, what is the, the, the veracity of the wrong. But listen, friends, here's the most important thing that you need to know. God gave Adam and Eve a command. doesn't matter what it is. The creator himself gave his creatures a command. It doesn't matter what the command was. When a good God commands us, we only have one option, obey, period. But unfortunately, that is not the case, as we will read. <laughs> I want you to know something. Sin is when you tell God, I will no longer obey your commands. And yet, that's what makes sin the most irrational of all decisions. You know, to sin is the dumbest thing you could ever do. It is absolutely foolish, and yet we still do it. Why? Why would we say no to God? We're not a creator. We don't possess truth. And yet, so often we just simply say to God, no, God, no, I disagree. I refuse to obey that. I'm going to do my own thing. And yet God alone has the right to command our belief, and God alone has the right to determine truth. What Adam and Eve should have done is simply responded, yes, God gave us a command, and he's our creator. And so therefore, we believe it. We obey it. We love God. When God gives a command, our response should be, yes, God, I love you. I believe your truth. I will obey it. Romans chapter 3, verse 4, let God be true. And everyone who denies him, a liar. Well, Satan is a liar. And in verse 4, Satan, he responds to the simple question to Eve. You know, Eve, he, she answered correctly. But then Satan, he, he does this thing called iniquity. Iniquity is insidious. It's when you take God's truth and you just twist it a little bit. You just twist it a little bit. And that's all it took for everything to go wrong. Satan says, you, you certainly will not die. There's the twist. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, which by the way, that did happen, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, which did happen. But did you see the phrase, you'll be like God? You see, that's what he wants. And that's what he knew caused him to be cast down from heaven. And so why would he not use the same tactic towards us? <laughs> Disobey him. He's keeping something from you. And so, as Satan tempted Eve, verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. 
her sight changed. Why is that? And she began to look delightfully at the fruit. And, 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 and it was desirable for her for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And she gave some of it to her husband, Adam, who was with her. He was right there. And he ate it. In verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened. And they immediately saw themselves as naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Everything was changed in that moment. And they immediately understood the concept of shame. They immediately experienced something that we call guilt. And we experience it all the time as a result of this. Satan just twisted the truth and tempted Eve to disobey her creator's command. He questioned whether the command of God was good and all the while, God was protecting their purity and their innocence. Satan says, you want to be like God? Eve should have said, I am. He made me in his image. What more could I want? She wanted more. She wanted to know. You see, Satan wants all of us to be more than what God has made us to be. You know what God has made you to be? a glorious worshiper. That's why I made you, to be a glorious worshiper. He made you that, that you might love God. And, in, and, and he would first love you. He wanted a relationship with you. That's why he, he made you. And yet, yet just, it just takes this one thing, sin, to completely separate us from the love of God. And that's so much why we need Christ to come. Well, sin, you see, then becomes this desire that we all have to be like God or to be our own God, to do what we desire. To, to, to sin is to simply say to God, I want to be my own authority. And it's just this, this simple twist of the truth. Surely God didn't mean that. Maybe God is hiding something for you. That, that seed of doubt that was placed in Eve's heart and that lure of lust that Eve, rather than just immediately saying no, she allowed that seed of temptation to give birth. And her heart changed in that moment. She had never known such desire. She'd never tasted of it until that moment. And now she looked at that fruit and she wanted it. She wanted to know what God knows. She wanted to taste of that which is forbidden. She wanted to know evil. And so did Adam. And every sin begins with a temptation. And you know this. If you allow it to, to grow, it becomes a desire that must be met. Now, this is the truth. We're not as complex as we think we are. This is the simple truth. You will always choose the thing that your heart desires the most when it comes to the choosing. That's true 100% of the time. You will always choose what your heart desires the most when it comes to the point of choosing. And that's why you sin often, because in the moment, even though you would know if you just paused and reflected or, or maybe in a different day, you would know how wrong it is. But in that moment, that's exactly what your heart wants. And so you say yes to it and no to God. James chapter 1 and 13. God is not tempted by evil. That's what makes God different than you, by the way. 
God is not tempted by evil. And note this, God does not himself tempt anyone. That's what makes God different than Satan. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by what? What does it say? His own evil desire. That means there's something in you that desires the evil. Then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then when sin grows up, sin gives birth to death. And that basically becomes the story of the rest of the Bible. Sin it corrupts our, our rational capacities. I mean, how ridiculous is it that you would rebel against God? It's insane, and yet we do it. And, and it wasn't just Eve, by the way, remember? Adam was right there. Eve takes the fruit, gives it to Adam. He's watching it happen. And from that moment on, I want you to understand this, the sin in the garden is attributed to Adam and not Eve. The sin is attributed to Adam. Why? because he was responsible. Adam was the priest king of Eden. This cosmic temple that was pure and innocent was under his domain and he failed. He did not lead his wife well. He should have stopped everything that was taking place. If she took the fruit off that tree, he should have slapped that stuff out of her hands. He should have demanded that that serpent leave his garden. He failed to subdue his dominion. He failed to care for that which was placed under his authority and his responsibility. And they both ate. And sinless innocence immediately left this cosmic temple called Eden. Now, when I said last week, you need to believe that Eden was paradise, but it wasn't perfect. And some of you gave me some really weird looks. Now you know why. Because Eden had a priest king who was not perfect. And he fell and everything fell with him. That's why we had Chuck read Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. In this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. Now, I want you to understand something. This is a really important doctrine of our faith. We call it the doctrine of original sin, and here's how it works. When Adam sinned, you sinned. When Adam sinned, you sinned. We call that original sin. And why? Because Adam is the federal head of all of humanity. It's just, in this moment, there's just one race of people. And in all of humanity now was in Adam, right? Because we all came from him. When he sinned, we sinned. You might say, that's not fair. It was exactly the way that God intended to be. Now, the reason why that's important is because if we are in Adam and when Adam sinned, we sinned, then the potential exists if a better Adam comes along who removes the sin, maybe we can be in him. Maybe we can be in him, in Christ, you see. I, I have the privilege of teaching. And in one of the contexts that I teach is in a, um, a prison Many of my students have told me that they are in prison and will be in prison the rest of their life because of one event. Because of one act of disobedience. One act that resulted in death and everything changed for them. You see, what Genesis 3 is teaching us is in this one decision, Adam turns over God's glorious creative order. And now 
there is a rivalry that has been set up. Creation against God. And the curse of sin then begins. But because of God and who he is, not only are there the severe consequences of sin, as we'll see, but there's also the promise of redemption. So let's go to verse 8. Adam and Eve have sinned. They immediately know shame and guilt. They are embarrassed. They are shame-filled. They are guilt-ridden. God now is walking in the garden as he did often. They hide from him. To which God calls out Adam. Remember, he's the one that's responsible and says to Adam, uh, Adam, where are you? <laughs> Adam's like, I'm hiding from you. Why are you hiding from me, Adam? Because I'm ashamed. I'm naked. Adam, who told you you were naked? Adam, did you eat of the fruit in the middle of the garden, the one I told you not to eat? Have you done the one thing, Adam, that I commanded you not to do? And rather than Adam repenting and seeking forgiveness, Adam did something that he also passed on to all of us and that he shifted the blame. He says, well, God, the woman you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Now, Let's be very clear. Is Adam blaming Eve or is Adam blaming God? Adam's blaming God. Adam says, you know, God, that, that woman you gave to me, you know, you thought that was a good idea? Not so good. She did it. She gave me the fruit and, and, and I ate it. And blame shifting has been destructive to marriages and families ever since. God confronts Eve. Woman, did you eat of the fruit? And she just realized, hey, I can shift the blame. She just got that from her husband. And she says, well, the serpent tempted me to do so. Hmm. Now, honest, maybe, not truthful. There's a difference. Honesty is so hard to find. Now, you can find blame shifting everywhere. As a matter of fact, if you're good at it, become a politician. Blame shifting is everywhere. Honesty is really hard to find. Well, God's not the author of sin. And yet, sin needed to happen. For God in his providential and sovereign plan for all things to take place. And one of the reasons why is because unless Adam and Eve had fallen in the garden, we would not understand God the way we need to understand God because there are aspects of God that are revealed as the result of sin. And one of those aspects is God's justice, his sense of rightness. And the other is God's mercy, the mercy of God upon sinners. And now we see a fuller revelation of the character of God as a result of the sin. Now remember, God is a God of covenants. He makes promises. And when he makes a covenant promise, there are promises to bless and there are promises to curse. Blessings for obedience Cursings for disobedience. And now we're going to see God be God. And we're going to see both his justice and his mercy. Verse 14. First, God curses Satan by way of the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any other wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. It is biblically legitimate to hate snakes. Now, more importantly, he's speaking to Satan. And he says to Satan, I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, 
He will strike your head, you will strike his heel. Now we see this important division. For the first time, God is now announcing the second race. Two races. There there are only two races. There is the race that belongs to Satan, the race of Adam, and there's the race that belongs to Jesus Christ, his race. There are only two. From this moment on, there's only been two. To this day, there's only two. You are either still in Adam or you have been, by God's grace, been placed into the second race, the race of Christ. And, And so God is saying from this moment on, there's going to be two offspring, two seeds. Satan will have a people. Children, if you would. Jesus even labels certain people. You are a child of the devil. And then God himself will have a people. They belong to him. They are his children. And you see now that in the shadows of the curse, God is saying these two people will constantly be hostile towards one another. And at some point in time, the seed from Eve will come about and take on this hostility, especially against Satan. And between his offspring and her offspring. And at some point in time, Satan will strike at the seed of the woman. At some point in time, Satan would bruise that child on a Roman cross and he would suffer and die. But that child, you see, would conquer death. He would come back from the death. And that child would pay the sin debt for God's people. Yes, Satan would bruise his heel, but Jesus on the cross and because of his resurrection would crush Satan's head. But we will see this theme of these two seeds, these two peoples now from Genesis 3 until the very end of the book of Revelation. All right, now to Eve. And although uh, Eve is not directly cursed, she now must suffer as a result of the curse. And so God says to the woman and to all women, I will intensify your labor pains. Can I get an amen? Really? There you go. And you will bear children with painful effort. Childbearing now will become a labor. That's why we call it labor. Painful. And and something else as a consequence to Eve. Your desire will be for your husband, and yet he will rule over you. So just as she would now suffer in childbirth, and, and not all the of the children would survive it. And even eventually some women would become barren and not able as a result of this. There would also be a strained relationship now in marriage. And and, and the the woman would would want to idolize relationships. Women have this temptation to make idols out of relationships. And, And women have the temptation of making an idol out of marriage. Always have. But unfortunately, as a result of the fall, husbands will take their authority and rather than providing loving leadership to their wives, they will rule over them. And there would be this forever tension now between men and women, husband and wives. She contends against his headship He takes advantage of his authority and rules over her. And the history of mankind has shown this. Men idolizing strength and power and rule, often and especially over women. Women idolizing relationships and using their femaleness to advantage themselves over men. 
the best way I can think about this is femaleness, okay? And yet God always wanted for the husband simply to be the loving leader of his home, sacrificial leader. And he always desired for the wife to be companion to her husband, to honor him, not contend against him. And yet this is the result of the, of the fall. And now to Adam, there's also a, a, a result of the, of the fall, consequences. And now God says, Adam, I'm, I'm going to curse the land. This cosmic temple will now taste the curse. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which I commanded you do not eat from it, now the ground is cursed because of you, Adam, and you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field, and you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it, for you are dust, Adam, and you will return to dust. And from this moment on, Men would labor to produce enough food to eat. Thorns and thistles would bring devastation to Adam's crops. Later, it would be droughts and hurricanes and tornadoes and forest fires and natural disasters. And Adam and his posterity would sweat and labor. You see, when God created everything, work was really good and work was pretty easy. But now work becomes a labor like childbirth. And sometimes it's really hard. And God says, Adam, look, eventually your body's going to give out. I promise this to you. And Adam, the, the name Adam means earth or dirt. Adam, just like I named you, you came from dirt. And you'll return to it. We'll just bury you underneath it. And so, as we end Genesis 3, God again shows two mercies to Adam and Eve. The first mercy is that he kills an animal, takes its skin, and clothes Adam and Eve. The beginning of the sacrificial system. Something has to die because of sin. God clothes Adam and Eve. He's still protecting them. The second mercy is he drives them out of Eden. Why? Because if they stayed in Eden and they kept eating the tree of life, they would live forever and their sin would only increase. It was a mercy that they would die. That's a hard saying. And God placed a glorious cherub with a mighty sword to guard Eden's gate. And I believe that garden and that cherub were there until the great flood. And the Bible now will give us many incidents where God will use a glorious angel with a mighty sword to do his bidding until God himself will come down as king of kings and lord of lords and the sword will come out of his mouth to make all things right. And in Genesis 4, I just want to simply, just simply highlight that because of the fall, we see the first death by way of murder. You see, as time went on, Adam and Eve are now trying to exist outside of Eden, and, and Eve does give birth in labor, and, and she bears Cain first, then Abel, and she gives God thanks for these sons. Cain would be an excellent farmer. Abel would be a good shepherd, a good shepherd. And because now we are entertaining the sacrificial system and it was known even in the earliest of days that you make sacrifices to God and you worship God by way of sacrifices, <laughs> Cain brought a sacrifice to the Lord. He brought the produce of the field. Abel brought a sacrifice to the Lord. He took a lamb, killed it, shed its blood, and offered it to the Lord. 
the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice and the Lord rejected Cain's sacrifice. We don't know why exactly other than Cain did something wrong. Maybe his heart wasn't right. Maybe he was being prideful or arrogant. We don't know. But in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain, uh, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. And Cain was furious and he looked despondent. And so the Lord in his mercy went to Cain and said, why are you so mad? Why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? Cain, if you simply do what is right, won't I accept it? But if you do not do what is right, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is always crouching at your door. Sin is always crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, Cain, but you must rule over it. There's the choice. We can always say no to it. We can always desire God rather than it. But Cain did not. Verse 8, the first murder. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord, he came to Cain, just like he came to his dad, Adam, in the garden. Hey, Cain, where's your brother? Cain, shifting the blame. I don't know. I'm not responsible for him. I'm not my brother's guardian. I'm not my brother's keeper. And because the Lord was unhappy about Cain's offering, there was something that was not honoring to God. Cain was furious and he chose to take matters into his own hand. First John chapter three, this is the message from the beginning. We should love one another. Cain should have looked at his brother Abel and said, Abel, God accepted your sacrifice. I love you, that's wonderful. I hope God will accept mine. But no, Cain didn't love Abel. He hated him. We should love one another, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. You see, Cain now becomes a part of this lineage of Satan's seed. And Satan now has his second major victory. Satan always wants to steal and to kill and destroy. That's that from the beginning. It's, it's, it happens to this very day. And again, history just sets apart this, this huge lineage of Satan tempting people to steal, to kill, and to destroy one another. And us killing each other has been what has taken place since then. It's incessant. We just keep killing one another. And now, what's fascinating to me at the end of chapter four is that Moses, who's writing all of this, wants for the lineage of Cain to be known. And so Moses begins to list Cain's sons. And, and what happened was God confronts Cain and he says to Cain, okay, you're no longer gonna be an excellent farmer. You're gonna be a nomad. You're gonna just fight for survival. I'm going to cast you out. And Cain then replies to God and says, God, I'm going to be a marked man. I mean, all of Adam and Eve's, you know, children are going to come after me. And so God, and I don't get this because he's so much more merciful than I am. God in his mercy places a mark on the murderer and says, okay, no one will kill you. And what Moses does is he describes Cain's lineage and basically Moses just writes down all of Cain's descendants who were murderous, evil men like Cain. Especially in chapter four, verse 23 and 24, this son named Lamech, the seventh generation from Cain. Moses, when he writes genealogies, he gives history order. He uses sevens and tens. The seventh generation from Cain, Lamech was born and Lamech killed someone and Lamech killed again and he boasted about it 
And he said, if anyone tries to avenge my murders, I will avenge 77 times over. I'll commit 77 more atrocities. 77 more murders. That's the line of Satan. Jesus would come along and said, I don't want you to respond with evil when evil is done to you. I want you to forgive. How many times over? 77. There's unity in the Bible. Sin is the enemy of God. It's the enemy of right. Sin is a cancer that kills. It's a virus that spreads. Sin is a monster that destroys. Sin is a parasite wanting to infect and infest your whole body. Sin is pollution. It dirties everything it touches. Sin is disintegration. It's death. And we act like it's fun at times. We label things sinfully delicious. We toy around with it to the offense of a holy and loving God. Sin is not your friend. It is not your ally. It wants to be your lover, though. And it wants to kill you. John Owen, a really important Puritan writer, a leader of the church, wrote this book called The Mortification of Sin. I dare you to read it someday. It might take about 10 years. Let me summarize it. You're a sinner, and you need to put sin to death or it'll kill you. This is what Owen says about sin. Sin always aims for the utmost. It always, what it means is sin begins by just tempting you. Why don't you just do this? But it wants to carry you all the way to your death. It wants to take you further than you would ever want to go. Some of you have tasted that and been down that path. God is merciful. And in God's mercy, to end chapter four and just to describe chapter five very quickly, Moses gives the lineage of Cain, the seed of Satan, and now Moses is going to begin the lineage of Seth, the next son to be born of Eve, and with Seth is the seed of the promise. And Moses is going to give a list of 10 generations. He likes sort of categorizing things in tens. And he's going to give a list of 10 generations from Adam to a particular child named Noah. And he'll list every man and he'll just basically tell you how long they lived and then how old they are when they gave birth. And some of them were three, 400 years old before they had a kid. They had a lot of kids because most of them lived between 700 and 1,000 years old. They had really strong and healthy bodies. Their blood was still very strong and very pure. Adam didn't need to have COVID antibodies, not at that time. And they all live very long, except for this man named Enoch, who is now living forever in heaven because he was a righteous man. And at some point in time, he was walking righteously with God, and God just said, walk on up into heaven. But, but what's interesting is the contrast between the seed of Cain and, and the seed of Seth. Moses, interestingly enough, he, he actually lists a child named Lamech in the seed of Seth. Remember, Lamech was the murderous villain that came from Cain, but, but now coming from Seth, there was a man named Lamech who lived 777 years. <laughs> and he was a righteous man. And he had a child that he named Noah. And when Noah was born, a prophecy was made upon Noah that he would bring an end to the hard toil of the land and the effects of a cursed earth. And what's, what's fascinating, if you do the genealogy correctly, when Noah was born, his dad would have been alive, his grandfather would have been alive, his great-grandfather would have been alive, Enoch was still alive in heaven. As a matter of fact, his Great, 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 great grandfather was still alive. Seth would have seen Noah. They all were alive before the great flood. And they all declared the promise of God.
to be true. Adam sinned, death enters, but God would not leave his creation or his people without a better Adam. He would give us a better Adam. Yes, Adam would pass his sinfulness to all of his posterity, and we're all born to sin and to die, but eventually a greater Adam would come. Again, Romans 5, but the gift is not like the trespass. For by the one man's trespass, the many died. How much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many? Yes, shalom was lost. But the Lord of Shalom, the Lord of the Sabbath would return. God himself would come and he would be our Prince of Peace. He would come to restore everything that went bad when Adam sinned. And as a result, we have a choice. You either remain in Adam and die or you come to faith in Jesus Christ and become a part of a better race. And when you're in Christ, you will live. And you will live forever. Stop loving sin. Stop playing around with it. You need to avoid it and detest it and flee from it. And in replace of it, love God. And desire Jesus. And live righteously for him. Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone here today who all they know in this moment is shame and guilt, maybe even now they would see Jesus as Redeemer, as the one who can forgive, as the one who died on a cross to pay the penalty of their sin. And maybe there's a desire of them to be placed in the greater race with the greater Adam as their head. And maybe they desire salvation today. And Father, I pray you would save anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord in this moment and save them. Please save them. And for us who, who are saved, Father, thank you for the reminder of how sinister sin is. And Father, please forgive us for loving it so. Please forgive us. Help us to desire you and to desire your son more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.